BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Here we go again. It's the Bill Press Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Donald Trump refuses to stand on the sidelines, unlike every other president in our lifetime. Next Sunday, February 28th, he's scheduled to address the annual CPAC gathering in Orlando, Florida, where his aides have said he'll do three things. One, still insist that he won the November 3rd election, but it was stolen from him. Two, attack Joe Biden for anything he's done his first month in office. And three, declare himself ready to head the Republican Party and run for re-election in 2024. But is this what the Republican Party really needs or wants? That's got the party split right down the middle today. Many Republicans, led by Lindsey Graham and Kevin McCarthy, say that sticking with Trump is the only way for Republicans to bounce back in 2022 and 2024. But others, starting with Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, Liz Cheney, and others, say the party has to move on from Trump. One of the leading voices of the Trump opposition is former conservative talk show radio host Charlie Sykes, now editor-in-chief of the new political website, The Bulwark, at thebulwark.com. So, Charlie Sykes, good to talk to you, good to connect with you again. Thanks for joining us here on the Bill Press Pod. Well, thanks for the invitation. And I want to congratulate you on uh, The Bulwark, uh, your new website, Uh uh, great stuff in it. Great people writing good stuff. Uh, you, uh, I'm, I'm in the lead, of course. So, uh, congratulations. Uh, how can people find you on the Bulwark? Uh, just www.thebulwark.com. Thebulwark.com. You got it. Now, before we get into where the Republican Party is or where it's going, Charlie, I'd like to ask you. Uh, look, you, a very longtime talk sh- radio talk show host, so has I. How do you assess? the legacy of uh, the big guy in talk radio, Rush Limbaugh, whom we lost last week to lung cancer. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's 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 dramatically split here. And uh, I, I have to admit, when I had to write a piece about him the day that he did, passed away, I, I still have that residual resistance against saying bad things about people the day <laughs> that they die. So this, right. this, this was tough. But I but I do think it's important uh, to to put his place. Um, I mean, to put him in his place in terms of. Uh, his impact on the media and on uh, and on conservative politics, because you cannot understand modern politics without Rush Limbaugh. Uh, it is impossible to overstate the impact that he had on creating um, the the genre of of conservative talk radio, or in the rise of the entertainment wing of the Republican Party. You know, I wrote something. I said basically, you know, how big was Rush Limbaugh? We're all living in the world that he created in his own image. And um, you think of much of the conservative right wing media ecosystem, and most of that can be traced back to Rush Limbaugh, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. Well, not just the media, but uh, politics in general. Also, would there have been a President Donald Trump without a Rush Limbaugh? 
I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but then, of course, that's that's hard. That that's hard to say. He played such a direct, crucial role in Donald Trump's rise. Uh, Donald Trump is really, in order to understand, I think a lot of what Trump does is to understand him as a as a talk radio candidate, um, somebody who really picked up the narratives and the memes of talk radio. Uh, in many ways, Rush Limbaugh was his was his model. And um, in fact, he kind of was the de facto head of the Republican Party, wasn't he? I mean, people he wa- he, didn't he, dare cross him. No, he, he was for many, many years. I think his influence waned as there were more media out there. But, but to your question of whether Donald Trump ever would have been president, I, I think the important thing to understand about what Rush Limbaugh did was he normalized many of the the traits that Donald Trump brought to the presidency. Uh, I'm I'm not sure who was who wrote this, but I think they put their finger on it when they said that when Donald Trump came out and he started making fun of the disabled and, you know, the racial Mm -hmm. dog whistles and mocking women, it sounded familiar because Rush Limbaugh had paved the way for all that. For decades, he had softened them up. He normalized that kind of insensitivity. And, and you know, when I, when I say that, I mean, that he really cultivated a, a kind of insensitivity to things that the right saw as political correctness. The rest of, I think, America saw as just kind of basic decency. So he normalized a certain level of cruelty, a certain level of shamelessness, and really brought into the mainstream ideas that a lot of us had thought were, um, had been exiled to the fringes. Uh, and when we turn to uh, the state of the Republican Party or the future of the Republican Party, uh, I want to ask you a question that is the headline on Politico this morning. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, quote, anti-Trumpers are done with the GOP. Where do they go now? You've been writing a lot about this, Charlie. So. Well, I feel seen. I feel seen with that headline. Um, yeah. Well, it's there's there's an interesting debate about uh, whether or not there is a Republican civil war, or whether that Republican civil war is already over. Um, and I, I I tend to lean right now that that it's it's over. Look, this is Trump's party. It is thoroughly Trump's party. The the only primary challenge you're seeing are between the Trumpy candidate and the Trumpier candidate. So this does raise the question, where where do anti-Trumpers go? I've been in exile for five years now. I've been a political orphan, so I'm no closer to an answer than <laughs> I was when Donald Trump came down the golden escalator. Did you vote for Donald Trump? Never. No. Did you vote, no, for, Joe, a, did you vote for Joe Biden? I did. No, for me, never Trump meant never. There was nothing ambiguous about it. Right. So um, is there a Republican Party today that is uh, – you know, not non-Donald Trump. Is there a wing of the Republican Party that, that still exists, which is not, not Donald Trump or just there, gone forever? No, there is one, but it's a rump. And, and they're sort of huddled in the corner, um, hoping against hope that, that the crocodile that they raised in their bathtub won't eat them um, or flipping metaphors, you know, that the fever will pass. And I don't think they fully realize how things have changed. I was actually, before we started the podcast, I was making notes on a piece about how crazy the state state and local level Republican parties have gotten. If you think it's bad in Washington, D.C., it's gotten much worse among the grassroots. So it, it, it is really hard to imagine, um, you know, a figure like a, a Mitt Romney or a Ben Sass uh, playing a significant wo- role or, or wielding much influence in the national Republican Party in the in the short term. 
Right. I was going to ask you who, if there is this, who would be the leader of this rump? You mentioned two, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, um, Nikki Haley. I mean, Nikki Haley's a windsock. I mean, I think she she reflects more of what's wrong with the Republican Party that she'll she'll tiptoe out, you know, put her you know toe in the water and criticize Trump, and then the moment there's any blowback, she comes scurrying back, uh, trying to so, get a meeting at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, which, yeah. All right. Uh, what do you see then the role of uh, a Mitch McConnell? Well, let. There was a moment. There was kind of a little Arab Spring right after January sixth. It was. A, it felt like, hey, you know, something's happening here. Liz Cheney, of all people, uh, yeah. Liz Cheney is not a rhino. She is hardcore conservative Republican. She stood up and denounced Trump in in uncompromising language. I mean, there were no weasel words in that statement. And then Mitch McConnell let it be known that he was thoroughly disgusted. Um, then, of course, Mitch McConnell did what Mitch McConnell always does is he wants to have it both ways. He had a chance to hold him accountable, refused to do it, but denounced him. I think that he was testing the water. He's testing the water to see, is is there, to your question, is there a rump Republican Party? Can he rally the donor class around him, um, the rational mainstream Republicans? And the evidence so far is no. And if Mitch McConnell can't do it, who can and certainly his goal is winning the Senate back in 20, immediate goal, right, is winning the Senate back in 2022. Uh, is it possible, do you believe, for a Republican candidate today to um, uh, accept Joe Biden's election, to accept the fact that the election was not stolen and win a Republican primary? That's a great question. I was thinking about that yesterday, watching Steve Scalise or, or on, yeah. sorry, on, on Sunday. Steve exactly. Scalise, the House whip is on ABC, and he did two things. He tried to uh, put the insurrection of January 6th down a memory hole, refused to attribute any blame for instigating that on Donald Trump, and number two, refused to really acknowledge the legitimacy of the election. And I think that's kind of the a canary in a coal mine, that this is now the new litmus test, that you cannot be outraged about the January 6th insurrection or recognize Donald Trump's role in that, and you can't admit that the election was legitimate. You, you can't push back and say, no, it was not stolen. Donald Trump lied. Joe Biden won that election by 7 million votes. No, you can't say that anymore, which tells you about the baggage that Republicans take into 2022 and 2024 that they have to be now married to this lie for the next two, four years, two or four years. Uh, and that's the argument that some Republicans are trying to make, you know, Mitt Romney and Ben Sass and Mitch McConnell as well. But it doesn't seem to be certainly carrying the day. Um, so Donald Trump is going to speak to CPAC this weekend, right? He's been invited. He'll be the keynote speaker. This is his first post-election uh, kind of appearance. Uh, what do you expect to hear from him? Is he going to announce he's going to run? No, but he's going to, uh, he, he, is, he is going to obviously strut upon the stage for a while and try to get people to believe that he still um, is, the, is the heir uh, apparent, or I'm sorry, the, 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 the presumptive nominee of mm -hmm. 2024, and he, may, and he may be. But I think that, that the CPAC the Trumpian CPAC is a pretty good indication of where the conservative movement is going. And, you know, you, you, we started off talking about Rush Limbaugh. And I think this all actually plays together that, that while the right was wildly successful in creating an alternative 
media ecosystem and an, and an alternative infrastructure, that what happened at a certain point is they stopped being in the business of persuading, of arguing. And what they do is now is they talk to themselves. And as a result, uh, they can become, they can win elections, but increasingly they're becoming very, very insular. And mm -hmm. so it has become this echo chamber. And you'll see that at CPAC. CPAC used to have a wide range of conservative thinkers of a, of a variety of different shades and hues. And now it's all Trump all the time, just like conservative media is all Trumpy. It's like your choice between Fox News, the crazy on Fox News, or the even crazier on Newsmax, or the even crazier on One America Network Now, or whatever it is it's called. So this is a real problem as they become increasingly doubling down on Trumpism and increasingly doubling down on this kind of you know conspiracy theory, Marjorie Taylor Green, big lie, my pillow guy type politics. They're going to continue to alienate a lot of voters in this country. Uh, and continue, do you believe, to marginalize themselves, where, in yeah. fact, with the uh, overall American political scene, that they're becoming um, less, less effective and less likely to win? I do think so. And I think all you have to do is look at Georgia, Arizona, Virginia. Look at those states. Those states, you remember, Bill. Those yeah. used to be, you know, quite quite Republican. Absolutely. I mean, if somebody would have told, you know, your twenty, you know, twenty years ago self, you know, those states are going to have two, um, all of those states will have two Democratic senators. You would have thought, oh, you know, what color is the moon in your world? Um, but this is what's been happening in one state after another, and so you're seeing that that playing out in places like Ohio and uh, Texas, Nevada, other places where, yes, this Trumpy approach wins primaries, but it does marginalize them in the general election. Now, having said that, here's the scary scenario. We are a two-party country. We're going to stay a two-party country. And it is not impossible that the Republican Party will come in back into power. And the Republican Party that comes back into power is going to be very different than what we've seen in the past. And given its anti-democratic, authoritarian leanings, that's a scary prospect. So, yes, I think they're marginalizing themselves. But if we've been around politics for a long time, we know that Republicans have become experts at winning elections without winning votes, <laughs> that they are comfortable with a strategy, a base only strategy that allows them to have power while being a minority party. And I think that 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 is that is alarming. So you don't see any possibility of a third party. Well, I have a lot of wishful thinking, and I can engage, <laughs> I, I, I can engage in wish casting, and I'm I'm talking with people. I mean, I'm you know in in these chat groups where people talk about the you know what the numbers look like for a center right uh, centrist yeah. uh, party. Let, me, let I, me just jump in. Yeah, there was sure. a there was a conference call with about 120 leading Republicans from. Republican administrations, Ronald Reagan, George H.W., George W. Bush, even Donald Trump, uh, some administration people, right? I, you may have been part of that call that talked about uh, this party is not going to ever recover. We need to start uh, a new conservative party based on uh, you know, our democratic institutions and res respect for them. Do you see that going anywhere? Well, I, I was on that call. And, okay. And, and, I listened, yeah. and by the way, I, I agree with the premise. I mean, I, you asked me about that headline in Politico. I really think, and this has been something that I, has really been gelling since January 6th. 
I think there's been a good deal of uh, disillusionment with the Republican Party. I think that a lot of people who had hoped that when Donald Trump left, there'd be kind of a truth and reconciliation moment or or maybe yeah. there'd be a Khrushchev-like speech where we'd, <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd announce where we'd been and then it, it, and we'd move on. But clearly that's not going to happen. And what we saw from the Republican Party, where we saw the number of Republicans that that signed on to the big lie to overturn the election, uh, voted to keep Marjorie Taylor Greene in office uh, under committee assignments, all of that, I think has driven a lot of people to say, OK, we're done. We're not going to rebuild this party. We have to find something new. But I don't underestimate the difficulty of doing that or the complication. So um, it, this was under the the rules were like, we can't say who said what, but I'll tell you what I said. Whatever comes of it must be flexible. Um, it has to be, uh, whatever group, it has to be willing to align itself with principled Republicans like the 11 that voted to impeach Donald Trump. Um, but it also has to be willing to align with Democrats so that it does not become, it doesn't become a spoiler group. So I think the flexibility is absolutely crucial. And I think what it needs to do is make sure that it aligns, not necessarily on ideological right-left terms, but in terms of sort of that, that, that would be the, the horizontal um, axis, but to focus on the vertical axis of things like truth, decency, the rule of law, um, democratic values and those things, because I think there's common ground uh, that, we can, that we can make there. Charlie Sykes is our guest today on the Bill Press Pod. He is editor-in-chief of uh, the website, The Bulwark, thebulwark.com. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and pick up with Charlie on where the Republican Party goes from here. And today's podcast with Charlie Sykes from The Bulwark brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. The Teamsters Union, the largest of all America's labor unions and the most diverse one and a half million members strong in the United States and Canada, representing every line of employment you can imagine, everything as they say from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. Check out their website at teamster.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. Dot Georgetown dot edu slash podcast. And we're back. Today's guest, Charlie Sykes, thebulwark.com. Check it out. Subscribe as I do. Uh, uh, lots of fodder for your political thinking uh, every day. Uh, Charlie Sykes, editor in chief, our guest today. So, Charlie, I want to come back to uh, even short of before he goes to CPAC. 
there's been a lot of noise from Donald Trump himself and from some of his people like Jason Miller that he's going to play a major role interviewing candidates for to challenge uh, Republicans who did not uh, support him in his uh, contention that he, the election was stolen from him. And he's going to be giving them money. Uh, here's my question. Do you believe that? I mean, does Donald Trump really have the discipline to run that kind of an operation? And will he have the resources to do so? I don't know. Um, I, I, I do know that he has enough to read people's Twitter feeds. I don't think he's going to yeah. go through a process of interviewing because interviewing implies that he would um, ask questions that he'd want to listen to the answer to. And he, we know this about <laughs> Donald Trump is that he doesn't actually listen to anybody. So he he'll 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 demand you know the signals of of virtue. In terms of the money, that's an interesting question because he raised hundreds of millions of dollars as part of this election lie scam. Because that's really, you know, part of what it was. So when you have two hundred million dollars in the bank, you can do something. But knowing Trump, he doesn't like to spend his own money, especially exactly. if if he if he needs it or thinks he can put his hands on it, which I think he can. Um, it may get sucked up. Not to mention the fact that it may get uh, it may get sucked up by legal bills as well. But again, given the the mood of the Republican electorate and base right now, um, his endorsement will have some weight. The question is, what's it going to look like a year from now? That's a very, very long time. There's a lot of other things that can come. Will other Republicans stand up against him? I mean, one of the more extraordinary stories of the last year was the the willingness of Georgia Republicans, not the ones running for Senate, the governor and the secretary of state, to push back against him and say, no, we're not going along with you, or the Republican governor of Arizona. Um, if you start seeing things like that, uh, you might... You know, it, it might not be the magic touch that he thinks. Also, watch what happens in Arkansas. I think it's very interesting. You have a senior member of the legislature, I believe he's a state senator, who just announced that he was leaving the Republican Party and is considering an independent run for governor. Now, right. that's one of those states where Sarah Huckabee, whose only you know qualification is that she is named Huckabee and she is close <laughs> to Trump is running for governor. She's got a lock on the Republican nomination. But watch, if, if there's a future of for a third way, Arkansas might be might be the sleeper for next year. Right. He is uh, State Senator Jim Hendren, yeah, right. who just made that announcement. And interesting, too, that the uh, the now governor of Arkansas, Asa, Hutch, Asa Hutchinson, right, mm -hmm. uh, right, said Sunday um, on the talk shows that he would not support Donald Trump for nominee in 2024. So very interesting. Maybe you're starting to see more and more. In fact, um, Hendren's hardly alone. The New York Times last week reported, I wouldn't say there's been a deluge, but there has been a significant number of Republicans nationwide who are changing their registration. Yes. Have you tracked that? Uh, yeah. That I, I, like, I, I think it is significant. And I think what's what you're going to see is that that's going to start uh, playing out uh, down down ballot. Now, of course, one of the stories of 2020 was that there are Republicans willing to vote for Republicans who are not named Donald Trump. The question is, if the party decides to misread the results and make itself Trumpier, whether those voters leave both at the top of the ticket and down ballot. And I think that ought to be the that ought to be what Republicans are worried about. You know, um, uh, far be it for me to give any advice to the Republican Party <laughs> as a former Democratic state chair of California. But 
when I look at what happened in 2020, I just wonder, okay, Donald Trump was on the ballot, right? He was leading the ticket and they lost the House, the Senate and the White House. So what's the deal here? I mean, <laughs> well, doesn't see, that is, sort of tell you something? Well, it's, it tells you a lot if you accept it, and which is why you have the big lie out there yeah. that, no, he didn't really lose. And yeah. so so they haven't really – I mean, it. I'm sorry. I, I, I have a real hard time dealing with the number of people that believe things that are just not true. I don't know how you argue about these things with people who – have their own set of facts and their own truths about all this. But yes, uh, he's led them into a dangerous area. Uh, he's also, in a state like Wisconsin, one of the things that Trump has has shown is his ability to inspire massive turnout, uh, massive turnout among Democrats. At the same time, you have eroding Republican support in in the suburbs. Now, in Wisconsin, they will you know point at the rural vote and how well Donald Trump did with rural voters. But the demographic trends in a lot of these states is not favorable to a Republican Party that decides it's going to go with sort of Trumpian white nationalism. Right. Now, you mentioned uh, a little earlier um, something about the grassroots and the state officials. In fact, um, it's been the state parties, really, that Republican parties that have taken the lead in condemning yeah. Um, Republicans in Congress who voted either to convict or voted to even hold a hold a hold a trial. Uh, how do you explain that phenomenon? It seems to be this big gap, right, between state Republican organizations and um, many members of Congress. Well, I, I call it the crazification of the local Republican base. And maybe at, at a certain point, it becomes self-selecting that the crazies drive out the normies. I don't know what's going on. But but you, but it's true. You look at the, the state parties in places like uh, Virginia, uh, state parties in places like Oregon or uh, Nevada or in, in, in Arizona. Oh, even Iowa. in, in, even yeah. in my home state of Wisconsin, you're, you're starting to see this where a, a person that shows up thinking, hey, you know, I'm a regular Republican. My father was a Republican. You show up at one of these meetings and suddenly they're showing you the movie by the My Pillow guy. Which, by the way, they did in, cru in crucial is Waukesha this, County. Oh, in crucial right. Waukesha County, the Republican Party of Waukesha County had a movie night last week, and they showed the My Pillow Guy movie, the one he's being sued for one hundred point three billion dollars for because it's so full of you know BS. So, I, I, I would I'm guessing that what happens is a lot of like reasonable normal people just say, I, yeah, I don't want to be part of this club. I don't want to be in, in this club, which means that that it gets crazier and crazier. So there's no question about it. And you're seeing this. And I think this is part of that, that, that phenomenon of, uh, of marginalization of some of these parties that you succeed in expelling all of these guys, you censure the Liz Cheney's, you get rid of the Denver Riggleman's, you get rid of the, the Adam Kinzinger's. Well, yes, but what are you left with? And do you really think this is going to help you win elections? Now, I want to ask you about a couple of people uh, that I can't figure out. Let's start with the mystery man. Where is Mike Pence? Ooh, isn't that an, that is such an interesting question because <laughs> well, he, and what does he do now, right? He's cast into outer darkness. He has been excommunicated by Maga World because he did his job. Because for the one time in his vice presidency, he stood up and said, I'm going to put country over my loyalty to the orange God King. 
And that means that he is done. So what was it? Uh, it was Navarro. Peter Navarro was on uh, television over the weekend, you know, talking about how terrible Mike Pence was for yeah. betraying the president. Betraying the president for n- not exercising a power that no sentient human being thought that he had. But I mean, this is almost Shakespearean when you think of it, that Mike Pence was the ultimate loyalist. There was nothing he would not, nothing he would not do for Donald Trump until that one thing. And then all of the rest of it didn't count for anything. And it's interesting how the people in Trump world and the Republican Party just don't seem to understand that message. You can suck up forever, but you cross him once and you're done. Right. And I mean, you're right. And the one time when he really did not have any choice, right? None. If he if he'd been able to overturn that election, he would have done it. I think, right? If if they if his lawyers told him, yeah, oh, yeah. You, it's your yeah, it's up to you what you do, right? Okay, but, do, but do you remember where you were or what you were thinking when you first heard this idea that hey, uh, Louis Gohmert has filed a lawsuit saying that the vice president has the power to unilaterally overturn the electoral college. And you laughed, right? You thought, okay, now it's getting crazy. The president of the United States embraced that. That was the central narrative of January 6th. I mean, that's how demented and deranged everything got. And then there's Mike Pence going, guys, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I really am not going to do this. And think what his status is in the Republican Party. So if Mike Pence is not loyal enough, what does it take to be loyal enough? Well, right. Uh, Let me then ask you also about Kevin McCarthy. I mean, clearly, he has put all of his eggs in one basket, which is the only way to get the House back in 2022 is full bore Donald Trump. Yeah, and and think about how Trumpy the uh, House Republican conference is. You look at you look at those votes. How many of them signed onto that bogus Texas lawsuit? I think it was uh, what 128, 25 or yeah. something. Yeah, like that, yeah. right. Including McCarthy and Including Steve McCarthy. Scalise, and, and they also then voted to overturn the electoral votes of the state of Pennsylvania. So they are all in. And McCarthy, again, sort of like Nikki Haley, put his toe in the you know out there criticizing Trump, but then scurried back to Mar-a-Lago. No, he uh, he clearly has decided that uh, they're going to go all MAGA now, which is interesting because I'm not sure that the you know this better than I do. Probably the 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 battleground congressional districts that will determine who controls the House are not the the MAGA seats. They're the ones that can go back and forth where this kind of crazy association with conspiracy theories and insurrectionists uh, is is not going to be uh, persuasive to swing voters. No, that's correct. And uh, the analysis has shown that. I mean, like Charlie Cook and others, right, who are neither, neither, they're not putting out the Democratic side or the Republican side, just basically looking at the districts. But McCarthy uh, has clearly decided, you know, that's his game. And uh, uh, there's no no middle ground. And, and Charlie, you, you have mentioned a few times your home state of Wisconsin. Now, Ron Johnson, if you talk about the ultimate Trumper, right, who even uh, basically Put well, he has dismissed the seriousness of what happened on January sixth. What armed insurrection? I didn't see any armed insurrection. What's his political future in Wisconsin? Well, first of all, uh, is <laughs> yeah, I, I go way back with Johnson. This is I've had a lot of painful things that have happened over the last few years. 
I have a I have a list of like the worst things and I move move it around a little bit. But but the whole Ron Johnson thing is certainly at the top of my list because uh, I I had high hopes for Ron Johnson. Uh, I really thought he was going to be kind of a Republican Bill Proxmire. He's now turned out to be more of a you know Joseph McCarthy. Uh, but his transformation has been remarkable to me. So he's up for reelection next year, which makes him I think the single most vulnerable Republican. Hmm. Out there, because this is very much a swing state. If he runs, uh, you will see a massive Democratic turnout. This, this has been the formula for the last two elections in 2018 and in 2020, where the Democrats just spiked the, you know, spiked it in Milwaukee County and Dane County. They turned out every body that they could because they were so highly motivated by Donald Trump. Uh, Trump won't be on the ballot next year, but if Ron Johnson's on the ballot, they will have that as the turnout juice. It will be like rocket fuel. And I will tell you that Republicans that I've talked to are right now very much hoping that he's not going to run. Because mm-hmm. if he does run and you get that kind of a Democratic turnout, that could mean a blowout in other statewide races for the Republicans, including the governor's race, which Republicans think that they should win. They think they they really want to win back the governor's uh, seat Next year, I think they're well positioned to do that next year in an off-year election with a weak Democratic incumbent. But if there's this kind of turnout generated by anti-Ron Johnson sentiment, um, that could blow everybody out of the water. Johnson's also not acting like a guy who's necessarily running for re-election because, I mean, he's, he's strong with the crazy. And yeah. these are not yeah. the things that people in coffee shops in Oshkosh and Kokana are talking about. They are not sitting around going, yeah, I want to hear the latest about Hunter's laptop or what about this? I mean, maybe <laughs> no, maybe there are some, but but uh, I, I, I don't I don't think that he's acting like somebody with his finger on the pulse of the needs of the state of Wisconsin, as opposed to the id of the Republican base. Uh, that's just not big enough here. Yeah. So we started with a quote from headline from today's Politico. Um, I want to end with a quote from The Bulwark and one of your lead articles today, where the headline is, the GOP's cowardice means the party will live have to live in fear forever. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Uh, that was a piece by Robert Trasinski. And basically, look, if you're not willing to draw the line now, you never will be. And, you know, part of being afraid is, you know, I mean, when, when, when you show fear, you give power to uh, you give power to the bad actors. And I think that uh, cowering leads to more cowering. And I think that you're going to see that. And we've been talking about this, how the people who uh, want a decent, rational, reasonable governing party are being driven out which makes the party crazier and crazier, which makes people more and more fearful of going up against the crazy. So it becomes this, this death spiral where you end up with crazy candidates for governor in states like Virginia, you know, crazy candidates for the United States Senate, maybe in places like Arizona. And again, that may scratch your, your, uh, your itch um, politically or ideologically or your MAGA itch, but uh, it's, it's not going to get you back to where you want to be as a party. And, you know, uh, finally, I guess maybe I'm old fashioned, but um, I've always been a Democrat, but (laughs) I've always valued the fact that there were two reasonable, serious political parties uh, in this country and people had a real choice. And, um, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. If Republicans got elected, it wasn't the end of the world. The Democrats got elected. Uh, uh, But listening to you, Charlie, I'm not 
that day may be gone forever, right? The party of a, a George W. Bush. I mean, I'd take him back in a second, right, compared to Donald Trump. But I would have taken him back in a second compared to Donald Trump. It, will we ever get back to that day when there are two, again, respectable, legitimate political parties, a Democratic Party and Republican Party, or do you think it's gone forever? It's gone for a long time. Um, forever is forever is a difficult yeah, concept right. in, in, sure. in in history, but but it's gone for a very very long time. Um, and if I, if I could just throw out a, a piece of advice to Democrats, um, it's become more and more given the fact that the Republican Party is not uh, a, a a good faith actor, uh, rational party. It's very important that you Democrats do not screw this up. Um, it, it's very important that you succeed. That that, that if, if you decide to scratch your ideological ids, yeah. if you decide to do that sort of thing, uh, and 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 move out of the mainstream, if you are not listening to where most Americans are, um, there will be a lot of voters that will see this as a binary choice. That will say, mm -hmm. "Okay, yes, the Republicans are crazy, but you Democrats." Mm -hmm. And so both parties have huge responsibilities. The Republican Party, which I focus on the most, needs to get its mind back. The Democrats just have to figure out how do you succeed and not and 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 not and not go crazy yourselves. Of course, it's not it's it's completely asymmetrical, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean, and I <laughs> and I do believe that Joe Biden understands that that he gets it absolutely. He does. and that's the way he is govern has is governing so far. But we'll. Well, that's that's going to be the hallmark, I believe, of his administration. Yeah, and that's why he's president. Yeah, there, there you because go. he gets that. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Sykes, the bulwark. Thank you so much, Charlie. Great conversation. And again, uh, I, uh, I encourage everybody listening to check out the bulwark, thebulwark.com. You'll find a lot of good stuff on there every single day. Thanks, Charlie. We'll catch up again soon. Hey, Bill, it's been fun. And that's it for today's podcast with Charlie Sykes of the Bulwark, Bulwark.com on the future of the Republican Party, if there is a future Republican Party. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back on Friday with our regular weekly Reporters Roundtable. Don't miss it. We'll have lots and lots to talk about. And in the meantime, wear that mask, practice your social distancing, stay strong, and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>